Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Aaron Snyder. And I'm Angie Fryerman. In this episode, we're discussing the Section 202 program. With us today are Brandon Moore and Michael Moore. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be with you today. So starting with Brandon, uh, then moving to Michael, could you two just tell us about yourselves and your role at the Corps, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the Section 202 program? Yeah, sure, Aaron. Yeah, hi. Hi, my, my name is Brandon Moore. I work in the Huntington District. I wear a couple different hats. One is as a section chief for our auxiliary project management section. In Huntington, that section was stood up whenever we got an influx of funding and projects through the uh, Bipartisan Budget Act of 18 and the Disaster Relief Act of 19. So, you know, within my section is, you know, that subset of project in which uh, in Huntington, we've got seven projects that were funded completion through that appropriation, which is a great opportunity to do um, expedite our project delivery. So it's, it's really good work, exciting work with the teams there. Um, so I'm the program manager for the emergency supplemental program in Huntington. Also, as is relevant today, I, I'm, I'm a section 202 program manager. Been with the Corps about 13 years now. Been around ops and in uh, project program management now and um, really like working with the teams to deliver these projects. Good morning. My name is Michael Moore. I'm a project manager for the Louisville District. I've been leading teams of other engineers and scientists to design and build large projects for the nation for decades. I'm a project manager. As a project manager, I'm responsible for ensuring our team provides the best engineering solution as efficiently as possible, including scope, schedule, and budget, of course. So, Brandon, could you just tell us what Section 202 is? And I know within the core, you know, sometimes it's like we just say section this, section that. Could you tell our listeners what Section 202 actually is? Yeah, sure. The program was authorized via Section 202 of public law, basically the word of uh, 81. So it's Section 202 of, of word, the word of bill in 1981 is authorizing legislation. Um, so that's kind of where that comes from. Now, as far as the program, it's, it's really unique in a couple of aspects. So um, it was authorized uh, as a result of 1977 flooding in the Eastern Kentucky, Southern West Virginia and Southwestern Virginia area. So that's what spurred Congress to, to act with that, with that legislation. What's really unique about the 202 is maybe three things. It, it authorizes flood risk management to that flood elevation of 77 event across three named watersheds. So that watershed in totality, again, in Eastern Kentucky, Southern West Virginia, uh, Southwestern Virginia, that is the Leviathan Tug Fork, the Big Sandy River and the Cumberland River. That program area is about the size of Connecticut um, from a square mileage standpoint. So it's very broad in its authorization. The other thing that's kind of unique about it for pe people with that are familiar with core legislation is there's really no strict limit to the authorization. It says that the costs exceed the benefits that's written into, into legislation. So no strict BCR requirement. And then it's authorized to be appropriated such sums as may be necessary. So there's no cap on the authorization. So really unique. Now, when you look at the, the watershed, you know, how do we get after providing flood risk management to that wide area? 
it's through a mixture of study, the feasibility level, and then we go into what's the most cost effective, whether it's structural, such as a, a levy, which Michael is leading a team to award and, and construct a, a levy around the Paintsville area in Johnson County. So we have levies, we've constructed 10 levies at this point. We've got four more in the portfolio of the program. Also non-structural, so in, more, in less densely populated communities where it's not cost effective to build a levy and acquisitions, so buyouts or um, flood proofers where we kind of raise them in place um, above that flood elevation. That's all outlined in, the, in a detailed project report and that kind of defines the scope of the project. Now, to date, the program has um, basically implemented $1.6 billion worth of flood risk management across that area with approximately um, $2.6 billion left across 10 to 12 counties. So a lot of work that's been done, a lot of capability for more. And um, one thing to maybe also point out is that this program area is economically disadvantaged um, across the whole area. So it does align with the administration's priorities for uh, you know environmental economic justice. There's frequent flash flooding. So with the 77 event, you, you know, you, we may think, well, that was a while ago, but there is recurring flood risk in this area. I mean, for those who may have been familiar with the news reports, there was devastating floods in, in Eastern Kentucky earlier this year. Um, I think uh, news reports, there's 37 fatalities, untold millions in damages and, and FEMA de declared a disaster in that area. So it's a recurring flood risk that we're trying to reduce in the area and economically disadvantaged, it can potentially spur economic development and also, you know, get the public out of harm's way. You know, so, so kind of sum it up, it's, it's a broad authority um, across those watersheds, kind of unique in, in the way that it's, it's implemented and studied and um, plenty more work to be done in the program. And uh, we're happy to share any lessons learned for listeners on the non-structural side. We, we've implemented, uh, we've done 1,400 uh, flood proofers, 1,500 buyouts across the program to date really enjoy working in these communities um, and delivering the project benefits to the public to reduce that flood risk. Thank you for that explanation, Brandon. You know, I have heard specifically about the Johnson County 202. So, Michael, could you tell us a little bit about those? Yes, Angela. The Johnson County Section 202 Flood Risk Management Project, as Brandon said, is 100% cost shared by the funding made available by the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018. Uh, the purpose of Johnson County Section 202 project is to implement flood risk management measures to protect residences and properties within the floodplain of the Levice Fork and its tributaries within Johnson County, Kentucky. As Brandon mentioned, with, without the project, we're, we're trying to prevent the reoccurrence of the April 1977 flood event, which was catastrophic in that area. For implementation purposes, so you get a, a broader picture of what we're doing in Johnson County, we have, as Brandon mentioned, we have both structural and non-structural measures going on. For the entirety of Johnson County, we're developing a flood warning emergency evacuation plan. Uh, the purpose of that is providing early flood warnings to allow residents time to evacuate safely. We also have two other phases of the Johnson County project that are structural in nature and include, as Brandon said, levees and flood walls to the re reduce the flood risk to the city of Paintsville. And, you know, one thing I might like to just add, Michael, is with respect to the program area, 
it's within Huntington District. Also, that watershed, the watershed that we mentioned earlier, the Cumberland River particularly is in Nashville District. Michael is in Louisville, and you know, as we got the BBA team funding in Huntington District, we got four projects funded to completion and a lot of work. And you know, our MSC, in conjunction with us, we we reached out to Louisville to help us deliver these projects. You know, kind of interoperably. So where do we have resources within the region? Realizing that you know we're kind of taxed with what we've uh, been tasked to do by Congress. So Michael and the Louisville team's done a great job. You know, as that Johnson County project, um, very nearing complete or award of the phase two project for the levee construction and Nashville works alongside us as well. So it's really kind of also a showcase within you say so, you know, working across district boundaries and pulling our resources together to do what we can to expedite how we're delivering these projects. Absolutely, Brandon, and we, we couldn't have done it without your all's oversight. You've had the 202 program since inception and we've gained so much valuable knowledge from you. And as you said, we've We've worked with with your district, with Nashville, with Buffalo, with Pittsburgh. It, it's definitely a, a multi-district team, as as most of all of our projects are. In some aspect, you're reaching out to some other district for some expertise at some time along the, the way of the project, for sure. So it's always great to hear that a region is leveraging the technical expertise and you say staff across the region uh, to execute projects and making sure that we can deliver them on time and within budget. So it's always great to hear these successes. As with any project that we work on though, I'm curious to know if, what the challenges have been in executing uh, the Section 202 work. Particularly uh, within the 202 program, you know, one of our primary challenges, and it's probably common to a lot of the projects that is real estate. So these are real estate driven projects, you know, the, the flood proofing of individual structures and the acquisition of individual structures, all every one of those actions are individual real estate actions. When we look at, and one thing I didn't mention or, or make clear earlier is these are the non-structural is voluntary. We have, we have public landowner meetings to inform the public. We have an application period that we'll put a closing date on, and then we work with those individual landowners. And so, you know, when we talk about putting schedules to these, we have some flexibility to drive schedule with respect to it. It is voluntary, but when you're talking about individual negotiations, those can be, um, it's based on appraised value, but, you know, our de definition of fair market value may not match the homeowners, right? So we have um, some negotiations that happen there and, and but what's important to remember as we work through those individual actions is each one of those acquisitions or flood proofers does provide incremental flood risk to that individual landowner. So we're either a buying them out and facilitating them uh, buying a new house with the funds provided by the appraised value and public law ninety one six forty six assistance, or we are raising them above that flood base flood elevation. So. Each one of those actions has its own fingerprint and um, you got to work through them individually. So that's kind of what we see on the non-structural side. I may toss it over to Michael to see, you know, kind of as a case study for Johnson County on the structural side, kind of what they've been working with and challenges they've experienced as they've, they've um, worked to deliver that uh, levy project. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, I'd say typically for a project of, of this size, whether it be Section 202 or not, a levy and construction project of this size, typically 
the the major challenges that that I've seen in my years is funding and LERDs, as Brandon mentioned, the LERDs. Since Johnson County was fully allocated the funding, we don't have that timely constraint of, of the funding as a challenge, but we do have the LERDs acquisitions. The non-federal sponsor is responsible for all of these acquisitions, and our non-federal sponsor, the Johnson County Fiscal Court, contracted with IRO, who's a top-notch right-of-way consultant to lead these efforts over for over 100 parcels. It is definitely our critical path, and, and it will be until we get all the lands. As Brandon mentioned, we, we're waiting on a, making a, an award right now solely on waiting for the final negotiations to take place on some of these parcels. And I'll just maybe add, Michael, one thing that I think that the Johnson County team's done really well is being thoughtful about prioritizing the real estate you know, acquisition with that contractor, phasing the, the contract effort to coincide with when those LERDs may become available. One approach could be, hey, let's wait till we got all the LERDs and then build it, or we could say, hey, we can phase it to coincide with when the LERDs will be available. So that's kind of something that they've, they've implemented there. And um, um, and then on the last phase, the phase three, you know, um, we're looking at phase plus options or maybe uh, kind of a limited work limit approach. So that's the definite advantage of having, like Michael said, those funds up front is we're not constrained by having incremental funds, so we can look and, and you know kind of strategize what's the best approach. And so, with LERDs being critical path, we've kind of worked. I think the team's kind of worked around like how can we phase this to deliver it and coincide with when when those LERDs may be available. Thanks for talking about that. For our listeners out there, LERDs means land easements, rights of ways, and relocations. Um, so kind of the real estate process that the core goes through. Talking about the LERDs and the real estate, so you said that that was uh, the non-federal sponsor's responsibility. Michael, could you tell us what is the sponsor's role in the Section 202 project and what kind of cost sharing are they responsible for? Absolutely. For Johnson County, their their cost sharing, we'll start with that in the second part of your question. Uh, the cost sharing is zero. It's 100% federally funded as long as we stay within the uh, allocated funds for this project, which is $118 million. I'd say if we exceed that, I don't know if we'd have to go back and revise a PPA and there could be cost share implications. But at this time, we're within budget. Don't believe we're going to have that issue. As far as the, the roles and responsibilities of the non-federal sponsor, the Johnson County Fiscal Court, they've, they've been alongside us since day one, trying to fully understand the issues and the obstacles, patient as we've developed the solution and, and have helped tremendously in setting expectations for the community. Like I said, their, their main two roles are providing the LERDs, and then when we construct and turn over the multiple phases of this project, the non-federal sponsor will be solely responsible for all the OMR, R&R. So one of the reasons we started the podcast is to share lessons learned across the core with work like Section 202, which may not be used by every district or division in the core. And so I think this is a great opportunity for either one of you to share lessons learned that you would like to share with the team internally and externally. Thanks, Angela. Yeah, I'd say the, the biggest lesson learned, that, well, this is the first 202 project that Louisville District's ever had. So we, we had some uh, a steep learning curve to, to get up 
to speed with. And thanks to Brandon and, and everyone in Huntington District, we got there rather quickly. But the, the biggest lesson learned, I'd say, is to be proactive and ready to push the boundaries of existing policy. We've had to do that several times within this project. And I think it overlaps. It's like our new mentality that if we can do it on this project, why can't we do it on all of our other projects? So while merging risk-informed decision-making with the, the evolving practice of water resource planning, you have to plan ahead for what you know and what you don't know. And in the opening remarks by Mr. Durrett, who's the LRD business director in 2018 when he provided us this project, he implored us to step out on the limb and push the boundaries, and we haven't stopped stepping out yet. I hope everyone that has the access and the availability to do so will take that lesson learned. Is to, you know, we have so many policies and they're, they're general in nature because you can't have a policy for every exact situation. There's so many gray areas with all of these projects that, and I'm not saying there's loopholes in policies, but but with risk-informed decision-making, the, the leaders can make a decision whether as an enterprise we want to take those risks or not. Brandon, is there anything else you'd like to mention to our listeners before we uh, wrap up for today? Yeah, sure, sure, Aaron. I, I, I might just pick up on as far as uh, Michael's lesson learned risk-informed decision-making. I think, you know, that is definitely the charge for us in USACE right now, and I think one thing that we've learned at the PDT level and maybe the program manager level is just being transparent with those risks. So uh, quantifying those risks for leadership, you know, what does it mean from a from a cost, schedule, reputational risk standpoint, legal policy? If you come up with an idea and run through those wickets and think it's worth it from a schedule cost standpoint, then you know, definitely, definitely go after it. And I think the Johnson County and also with an emergency supplemental program at large, we've had some success with that. And, and then I, I would also maybe add, um, Aaron, as far as working in disadvantaged communities, like Section 202 program um, does throughout, is you know the sponsors are typically relatively strapped with respect to their resources um, and their time. So we're real thoughtful with how can we facilitate success. You know, there are definitely boundaries we can't push as far as roles and responsibilities, but we tr do try to um, help them lead them to the water, so to speak, with everything that we do. Early involvement, leading them to contractors like Johnson County team did. So that's really key to, to delivering projects within the disadvantaged community, I, I would say. So with that said, I think maybe I just leave the audience to anybody within you say any further questions or lessons learned, uh, uh, Michael and I both are happy to follow up and uh, definitely uh, have uh, are committed to this to this program and i want to share any lessons learned we have for others who may find them useful great thank you brandon and michael for joining us today for this edition of inside the castle we appreciate you and your insights to our listeners we want to hear from you what topics are important to you and people you're interested in hearing from until next time be safe be innovative and be revolutionary Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.